If you have your Bibles, please open them to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, almost finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, finishing the Sermon on the Mount proper, but one more sermon after this. But before we come to God's Word, I invite you to join with me as I pray. Oh, Christ indeed is our solid rock, and we pray this morning, oh, God and Father, that you would help us to see him as our sure foundation for this life. Lord, as we come this morning, our spirit is indeed willing, but our flesh is weak. And so we pray that you would help us attend to these words that you have for us this morning. We ask all of this in your son's name for the good of your people. Amen. Well, we come to Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. This is the word of our Lord. I'm going to ask a question that will make all of the Dutchmen and women here very happy. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And I say that all of the Dutch people are happy because as many of you may know, that is the opening question of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is one of the primary confessional documents in the Dutch Reformed churches. And while the Heidelberg does give a remarkable answer, the question itself of finding comfort in life is not a question that is asked exclusively by those who hail from the Netherlands. I think everybody who has ever lived has asked themselves that question. Where can I find comfort? It is a universal human experience that says that I need to figure out what it is that is going to help me create a life of meaning and a life of satisfaction. Jesus gives us an analogy to describe that pursuit. It's an analogy of building a house. It's what he uses in this parable. And in this parable, he assumes that all of us are building a house. That's assumed. He, He knows all of us are working to create a life of meaning. His question then is, what are you going to build that house upon? But it is a fact that he shows us that we are all builders. Even Pastor Neil, whose greatest claim to home renovation fame is plugging back in a hot water heater, is metaphorically 
a builder. And just for the record, sticking with the metaphor is a fantastic builder. If you leave the metaphor, call somebody else. But within the metaphor, great. And, and all of us, we are all building a house that is our life, that is finding meaning. It's finding satisfaction. We want purpose and happiness and joy and contentment. However you, you want to describe that pursuit, we are all working to create a life that is going to give us the greatest possible comfort. That fact is undeniable. Now what separates Jesus' hearers and what continues to separate people today is the question of what we're going to build that house upon. That, that is what Jesus is presenting to us this morning. And it's been the case with every other warning that he has given in chapter 7 as he closes his sermon. He's showing us that there are only two options for what we're going to build our life upon. We can either build our lives upon a faulty foundation that will leave us in ruin, or we can build our lives upon Christ Himself, who is the solid rock. Now, there are countless things that that we can look to in our lives that give us happiness and satisfaction. The options are, are endless. Everyone has something that they want the most. That if they can just obtain that one thing, then they're going to be happy. Then they'll be satisfied. Maybe that thing is, is fun. It's pleasure. It's, it, you're, just, you're just a hedonist. You just want to feel as good as possible all the time. So you do everything that you can to, to maximize your enjoyment. Life gets hard, so you need to escape, and so go binge watch the latest series on Netflix. Or maybe you just rack up thousands of dollars in credit card debt, treating yourselves to a new wardrobe or to nice meals or a weekend toy. Or maybe we splurge and get the really nice bottle of wine or bourbon, and that's what's going to give us comfort. Or we forego quality and just go for quantity and just throw ourselves into getting drunk or gluttonous. Or maybe we pursue ungodly relationships because we think that that person, that they're going to make me feel the way that I need most right now. that They're going to give me that joy that I need, so I'm going to pursue that relationship. Whatever it is, that you're just after pleasure. You're going to do whatever it is in life that is going to help you have as much pleasure as possible. Maybe that's the foundation you're building. For others, maybe that's not what drives you. Maybe what drives you is having an impact. You want your life to count. And so you're going to spend all the time that you have trying to change the world, make the world a better place. So every night of the week, you're in a different organization volunteering your time. If it's election season, you're with the right campaign. If 
There's something, a, a rally that meets your interest. You're there holding a sign, bringing attention to your cause. Maybe you're at some community service organization because you want to make a difference. That's your drive. And as long as you can throw yourselves into changing the world, having an impact, your life will have meaning. Maybe your foundation is belonging. You, you just want a place to belong. You, you don't have meaning unless you have the right group of people that can accept you for who you are. That's what you need most in life. Maybe you're just not going to be happy until you have that spouse or you have kids. Or you think as, as long as your teammates think highly of you that you, you make the cut, then you're going to be okay. Maybe you feel lonely and so you're going to join a club or a fraternity or, or even join a church. I don't know how many times, dozens of students I, I've known doing campus ministry that are really involved for, for four years and then as soon as they graduate, they check out of the church because they were simply there for the group of friends that the church provided. But no matter what it is, you just you need people to like you and as long as people like you and accept you, then you feel a sense of belonging. Then your life has purpose. Lastly, maybe you're building your house on the foundation of, of security. You, you just want to have a stable life. You're going to do whatever it takes to set yourself up so that problems of life, they can't get to you. You're working hard to get the grades, to get the degree, to get the job, to get the salary so that you, you can have all the money that you need to make life's problems go away. You don't have to be afraid of the storm because the storm can't get to you in your castle. You, your kids, your grandkids, you're all set for life. And so now you know, now you can finally be happy. Maybe it's none of the above. Maybe it's all of the above. I, I don't no, but what I'm trying to help show us is that we, we all have something. We're all building a house and laying it on top of a foundation of something that we believe is going to make that house complete. We all have a foundation that we think that this is what I'm going to build my life upon to give me the most joy and satisfaction in this life. And what do all of these things have in common. Well, again, the list is endless of all the things that you can pursue, but the thread that all of them share is that all of these foundations are actually me-centric. Think, if I get this thing, then I will be happy. My foundation for life is determined by whatever drives me the most. And so, your house, it's built on, on your feelings, and, and that's what's best for you, and my house is built on my feelings, and that's what's best for me. It's my desires, my judgments, that that's what determines what my foundation ought to be. And for every one of us, we think, well, whatever your desires and your judgments are, that's what you need to build your house on. See how it's all centered on on me, it's on, on the individual. Currently reading through Carl Truman's 
book, Strange New World, which is ultimately about the sexual revolution that our culture has gone through over the past few decades. But in it, he shows, before you get to the sexual revolution, he notes that there was a moral revolution that took place first. It's a revolution that said that morals and ethics and meaning in life, they're they're no longer transcendent. They're no longer, they don't come from outside of us. They're not given to us by somebody. They're not intrinsic to, to who we are as human beings. But he said that there's a shift that morals don't get developed like that. Now, morals come from within. And what's worse, all of these self-centered morals and ethics that they come from within, and they're not dictated by any scientific observation or anything that you can discern from the natural world. They're simply dictated by my feelings. That's what makes things right or wrong, is, is what I feel. So if you don't let me have what I want, then you're doing me harm. You're not letting me achieve self actualization. You're keeping me from building my foundation so that my life can flourish. See, that's the moral world that we occupy today. It is the air that we breathe. It's like fish in water. We don't know that we're wet. That way of thinking about morality is in every song, every movie, every book. The hero needs to blaze their own trail, follow their heart in order to save the day. That's just simply the world we currently occupy. Let me just give one example to illustrate this before we get back to our text. I'll use the example of marriage. What does the world say about marriage? Even if you want to get married, now marriage, eh, maybe But if you want to get married, you should be free to marry whoever you want, whenever you want, however you want, whyever you want. And the sole purpose of that marriage is to make you happy. That the reason you get married is it's going to help you fulfill all of your dreams and desires. And if your spouse doesn't do that for you, then you are free to leave that marriage and find somebody who is going to help you fulfill all of your dreams and your desires and make you happy. See, in society, what's the point of marriage? It is your happiness. Everything revolves around that. If you're not happy, you need to leave and find somebody who's going to actually make you happy. Forget about their feelings. They're there for you. That's what society says about marriage. And even as Christians sometimes, we can view our spouse through that lens, thinking, are you making me happy? And there's obviously room to have that conversation. But think about how instead we ought to think through marriage as Christians. Instead, we ought to recognize marriage, that it is a a God-ordained institution that is meant to reflect the love and commitment of Christ to His church, where each spouse is called to sacrificially love and serve one another. 
for their joy and satisfaction in the marriage. Not, not my joy. I'm, I'm here to lay my life down and serve you. And in doing that, we're reflecting the love that Christ has for His church. And we also recognize that, that marriage is meant to be the, just the normal means by which God gives children that are to be born and raised to know and to love Him, to be taught the faith that they can grow up and live godly and fruitful lives. Those two visions of marriage are worlds apart. Because one is shaped by cultural sensibilities, by me-centeredness and my happiness being my foundation, and the other is shaped by the Word of God. You have worldly foundations for life and a biblical foundation for life. And you can do this with everything and see that all of these things that we could be pursuing, these false foundations, are all centered on me. Now, getting back to these false foundations that we're inclined to build, let me just note that none of the things that I mentioned are bad in and of themselves. Think, enjoying a nice meal, having a good drink, wanting a family, wanting children, wanting to make your community better, wanting to provide for your family. Those are all incredibly good things. They're they're not wrong in and of themselves. Jesus is not saying that those are sinful and that you need to stop wanting them. We're not Buddhists that just say you need to get rid of every desire, that desire is the problem. What Jesus is saying is that those things make terrible foundations to build your life upon. There's a difference between desiring a good gift and building your life on top of that gift. It's the same distinction that we talked about earlier in the Sermon on the Mount between serving God and money. God doesn't have a problem necessarily with having money. It's where is your allegiance? What do you love the most? And whatever occupies the chief place in your heart, whatever you want the most, whatever you're going to do anything to get, he's saying that's your foundation. That is your God. So Jesus is warning you not to make the good gifts that God gives to the world your God. He's saying worship the giver, not the gift. Because all of the gifts, the fun, the belonging, the impact, the success, all of those make terrible foundations because every single one of those things will ultimately fail you. If you're building your life upon those things, then you are never going to actually be at rest. You're always going to be scrambling around your house, patching the cracks in the foundation, plugging holes, worrying about every creek that you hear thinking, is my house about to cave in? 
We are going to spend our whole lives worrying and trying to maintain these weak foundations. I think if you've lived long enough, you know that life brings pain. And that all of these good gifts, all of these things that we've talked about, they cannot hold up under the weight of life. They are going to fail at some point. They will be taken away. And when that happens, if that's your foundation, your house will crumble. But Jesus has an even greater warning for us in this passage. He's not just speaking about how to have a happy life, though there's obvious implications for that. If you think about the language that he uses of the wind and the rain and the floods and the greatness of the fall of the house. This isn't the everyday weight of life that he's talking about. He's speaking about final judgment. Indeed, remember, this is the context of all of chapter 7. He's giving warnings about coming judgment. What's going to happen at the end of the age? And once again, he's saying that when we get to the end of our days, we have to stand before God. We're going to be in one of two camps. There's no middle ground. You're either going to be in the camp of the people who built their lives on the foundation of Christ and His Word, or those who built their lives on the foundation of something else. And if your foundation is anything other than Christ, you will face God's judgment. And you will face His wrath. Now, you may be asking me, think, listen, I I tried to build a good life. I, I tried to have a family, to teach my kids to be good people, to be involved in my community. I I came to church and listened to this message. So so why would I be in danger of God's judgment if I'm seeking to be a good person? It's because placing anything other than God as the foundation of your life is called idolatry. That's not good. No matter how moral you try to be, if you're making an idol and worshiping it instead of God, you're not being, quote, good. The entire Sermon on the Mount, we've been seeing that God requires not lip service, but complete commitment. We are to love Him with our entire heart and soul and mind and strength. Not just Love Him if He helps us get all of the other things that we want. I think life in the kingdom of God is all in or it is all out. There's no middle ground. Just like there's only two paths or two trees or two responses from Jesus in the last days, there are only two houses. The house that stands and the house that falls. So if you do not make Jesus everything. If you're not building your life solely upon Him, if you're not making His Word your final authority and letting it teach you how to live every day of your life, then you have made something else your God. Something else your foundation. And so therefore, you are in danger of judgment. But, there is still hope 
So if you remember from my last sermon, the point of warnings is to warn your hearers so that when they hear it, they will turn and avoid danger. See, Jesus is calling you to reconsider your life and reconsider your foundation. <clears throat> he wants you to turn from all of the things that are going to fail you. The things that are going to leave you in ruin, that are going to cause your house to collapse. And He wants you to turn from them and turn to Him, to trust in Him, to follow Him. For He alone is the solid foundation that we can confidently build upon. Why is that? Why is it Christ alone? Because it is Christ alone is the one that loves us, that serves us, that has died for us, that cleanses us from our sin, deals with our greatest need in life, which is forgiveness for our sins and appeasing the wrath of God. He is the one who makes it possible to pass through the waters of judgment that we read about and in to glory. It is only through Him that we obtain salvation. It is in Christ alone. All of the wild nights in college can't ultimately save you. Your spouse cannot ultimately save you. Your savings account cannot ultimately save you. Our greatest need is to deal with the offense that we have committed against God Almighty. And it is Christ alone that removes that offense once and for all. He does not just make us save a bull. He does not just offer a path to salvation. He saves us. He has done it. He secures it for all time. And so does Jesus alone that we are called to give complete and total commitment to, to set our hope upon. That is the only sure foundation for all of our life. Pursuing anything else will leave us in ruin. And here is the beauty. When we understand that gospel message and understand that salvation by grace that Jesus has accomplished for us. Once we understand that and stop chasing all of the other false foundations, when we build our life on Christ, the gospel actually provides all of the things that we have been seeking in ways that we could have never imagined. Think about your pursuit of fun and pleasure. They're, they're all just a pursuit of fleeting joys. Trying to get that next rush. And now we, we don't have to chase all of these fleeting things. Instead, we get to know God who does not change. We get to enjoy Him forever. The greatest source of joy that there has ever been. And we get to know Him. Psalm 16.11 says that you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Think about all of those other things that you want to give you pleasure. The entire reason that they exist is that we are meant to enjoy them so that they can remind us of the One who made them and actually enjoy Him more. Psalm 119, 103 
says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. See, we can't understand that psalm and how sweet God's word is if we don't first understand and know how sweet honey is. God gives us all of these things in life that are pleasing so that we can have an analogy to point to Him to an even greater pleasure. And so, we, we enjoy these things that they might give us a more secure pleasure, a greater joy. Even if the restaurant burns your steak or your sports team lays another egg, your joy is not diminished because you know that your joy is not dependent on these things, but your joy is secure with God in heaven. Your relationship with God is not dependent on earthly things. It is dependent on the work of Christ, which is accomplished and fixed and done. So your joy in God is accomplished and fixed and done. We see now how the gospel begins to transform our pursuit of pleasure. All of the things in life point us to something greater that cannot be taken away. Or think about the impact that you want to have. What is the one institution that has the most important thing to give the world and the one institution that God has promised He will never fail? It's not the government. It's not the New York Stock Exchange. It's not your local community group. It's the church. Remember what Jesus told Peter. He says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it if you really want to change the world if you really want to have an impact that is going to be lasting that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt is going to stand the test of time then give yourself to the work of the church because God is working through his people to save sinners for all eternity we see how the gospel begins to transform your desire for impact What about belonging? Well, if you've put your trust in Christ, then you you have been adopted as a child of God. You belong to Him. And He's never letting you go. And you don't just belong to God. Everybody else in the church belongs to God. And so therefore, now you are all part of the same family. We are brothers and sisters together in the church and it's not a family where you have to earn your place at the table it's a family that is is formed and shaped by grace and it's when it's working properly that we are all joined together to show the same love and grace and care to one another that christ has shown to us listen to all the commandments that Paul gives in Romans 12 for how the church is meant to live with one another. He says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If you want a place to belong, a place to call home, where else would you rather go than a place that is shaped like that? See how the gospel transforms our belonging. What about security? No matter how hard you work, everything in this life that you can look for security in is in constant danger. Recessions can dry up assets. Fires and floods can take your home. Disease can strike your family. Thieves can steal and rust can destroy. But Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, that according to God's great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You want security? There it is. Your hope is in Christ. You have never been more secure in this life. You have an inheritance beyond anything that you could imagine in this world. And it's kept for you, undefiled, unfading, who are being guarded through Christ. The gospel transforms our security. So again then, we have the choice before us that Jesus gives. What are we going to do with Christ and with His teachings that He's given us on the kingdom? The teachings on the way to enter into the kingdom, the way that we're meant to live as citizens of the kingdom, the way that we understand God and order our lives around Him as our great King. Are we going to accept all of these teachings, as he said, not a letter of the law will pass away. We're going to accept every letter of Christ's teachings and give our lives to it. Or are we going to go our own way and build our own life on our own foundations? There is no halfway. There is no middle ground. No average Christianity where I just show up and do enough and get by. Jesus is demanding complete allegiance. It is all or nothing. And so what are we going to do? We can go our own way, pursue life the way we want to, what's going to make me happy. Jesus says, that is foolish. And it will only end in ruin. You reject him and his teaching, your house will not stand in the final judgment. But as we have seen, there is another way. There is the wise way to trust in Christ, to know that his commands and his words are what is best for our life. They are what are truly going to make us happy. 
We can build our life on Him. If we do that, not only do we have everything we could ever want in this life, we also will stand with Him in the next. So what is your only comfort in life and in death? As the Heidelberg says, is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life. It makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. May that be true of all of us. We've looked to Christ, seen all that He has done for us in the Gospel, give our lives to Him, that we might live for Him, and that we then might stand on our solid rock. Let us pray. Lord, we do ask for Your help. For there are days when this is a hard word to believe, that you have what's best for us. There are times when it is hard to believe that obeying your word will bring us the most joy. But Lord, we pray that you would give us faith, that we would believe you, that we would submit to you and follow you. Lord, help us know the joy that is in the gospel, the joy of knowing our Father and knowing your salvation, and that it might transform us and give us hope and confidence in this life and in the next. Pray all of this in your blessed name. Amen.